I'm here talking to Kendall. I'm here talking to Annie. Today I'm talking about the Warwick slasher, Craig Price. Content warnings are for child death and bags of knives. You can follow us on Instagram at tell no one podcast or send us an email at tell no one pod at gmail.com. Sources are in the show notes. Everything is alleged, but this is definitely tell no one. Enjoy. So first off, earnest moment. We got a really lovely email from a listener the other day. It was really nice. It meant the world. So I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. Speaking of listener communication, we were given this idea, this request. We were tipped off. We were tipped off. I'm going to keep it anonymous, obviously, but you know who you are. So we're talking about Craig Price, who is like known as America's youngest serial killer. I don't know if I'm going to... I like that. He's also known as the Warwick um, slasher because we're in Rhode Island, baby. We're in the 80s. Craig Price. He's born in 1973. So uh, he is black which is important to the story. Okay. And it's a, he lives and his, he and his family live in a predominantly white area. I mean, come on, New England. Rhode Island. Island. Let's be honest. Um, and he definitely like felt that that was not unnoticed. Um, it definitely was a part of his life. Okay. So when he's nine years old, he recounts having his like first homicidal rage. Okay. Oh. So he's playing with his friends, um, like on the street, uh, and he has this brand new bike. And he's like super excited about this bike. Um, and the kids that he's with get harassed by like passersby yelling racial slurs at them. Okay. Um, a car is like throwing golf balls at them and had accused him of s- stealing that bike, which I absolutely believe happened. No uh, doubt. Yeah, I believe that happened. And yeah. I believe that that would put anyone in a rage. Right. Um, so they keep harassing him and then drive away. He chases them on his bike, crashes it and like ruins it. Oh. And this is when he's like, I felt the urge to kill. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would love to kill. I'd love but to kill. we cannot like... There are tons of kids who experienced all that just now and they don't kill anybody. I know. We cannot kill. Okay. (laughs) So he starts like peeping into people's windows in the neighborhood. Okay. Now we're doing a different thing. He's doing some like petty crimes, breaking and entering, but like he's not doing this alone. Like there's like some kids who are doing this with him. It's like not normal, but he's not like crazy in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, he's not like um, the one kid who cannot socialize, you know? No, not at all. Okay. But I will tell you already, like, okay, that is different from I'm having a rage reaction to racism. Right. You're, like, violating them, and they didn't do anything to you. Yeah. It's, like, mostly women, obviously. <sighs> but Yeah. So it's July 27th, 1987, and he's 13. <sighs> he's playing in the street again with some friends. It's just, like, what they do in his neighborhood. And he sees a car parked in front of his neighbor's house, and there's a man in the car, and there he's yelling racial slurs at them again. What the fuck are we doing, people? Yeah. So he's yelling racial slurs at them from a car that was parked in front of his neighbor's house. He did not really know this neighbor, but he knew of her, because he lives there. Um, the, the neighbor, Not the guy in the car. The He doesn't know the guy in the car, but he like knows of the woman who lives in the house. Okay. Uh, her name is Rebecca Spencer. She's a single mother of two children, recently divorced, and she's living in that house with her brother, Carl. But Craig, like I said, had never seen the man in the car before. So he's so pissed off about this. He goes back into his house and he like ruminates. And he like has talked a lot about this. And his fucking quotes are so try hard, dumb bullshit. So he says, quote, I could not banish from my mind the fact that I not only wanted to kill, but had to kill. And so on the night of July 27th, my mind was made up to murder. 
He's 13. <laughs> He's yeah. in his childhood bedroom saying this to himself. Dude, we get it. You're bad to the bone. Yeah, it's very much like, I was born sitting up. Exactly. <laughs> talking back. Like, all right. <laughs> okay. Okay, Craig. What the fuck? Go to your room. It's very much go to your room. Like, it's not like, Shut up. So meanwhile, while he's in his childhood room, just stewing, seething, basically, getting himself all riled up, Rebecca, she goes by Becky, and some of her friends are packing up her house to move. She's like, it's the end of the month. She's moving out. And that is the neighbor? That's the neighbor. Okay. Five years earlier, interestingly enough, Becky and her ex-husband had won the lottery. They won $48,000, but shortly after that, they divorced. Damn. And after the divorce, um, Becky and her brother and her two children move into the house where they are right now. Um, she got her GED and was working at a jewelry company. Um, and this night, her kids were at their father's house while she was packing up. At 8 p.m., her brother Carl left for work as a security guard. And Becky and her friend keep packing. At 9 o'clock, her boyfriend Jeff came by to visit. This is the guy who was yelling at Craig earlier. So he comes in and starts complaining about like rowdy kids in the street. We all kind of know what that means, don't we? Yeah, black children. Right. So Becky, Jeff, and the friend all go out for ice cream, and then they drop her off at home alone. So, like, the furniture is basically all cleared out at this point, so she turns on VH1 on her TV and, like, sleeps on the floor. Craig is still a few houses down, riled up. He starts smoking weed and starts fantasizing about smashing their heads in. Becky and her boyfriend, Jeff. Becky didn't do anything to you. Oh, also, Jeff is a name I made up. His name is not known. We're calling him Jeff. We're calling him Jeff. I would love to. (laughs) Yeah. I get being mad at Jeff. Yeah. He's a grown man yelling horrible things at children. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. But, um... What the fuck did Becky do to you? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So he puts on all black and he grabs an aluminum bat. You know what? I'm really trying to hold empathy for him being like the only black kid in the neighborhood. Right. I'm sure that came with a lot of fucking trauma. Absolutely. But I'm having a hard time when we're premeditating murder, putting on our little fucking cat suit and going to find a random girl who didn't do fuck all to you. Seems like you want to kill women women well he goes over there with intention of killing jeff but jeff is not there he creeps over and notices jeff is gone and he goes back home and smokes more weed going fucking crazy yeah that's why i'm like get over yourself like he's like back in his he's 13 he's like pacing like oh motherfucker also all of this is like from what he says so who the fuck knows if any of this yeah. is real i'm i'm sure that 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 like, he was harassed. I'm pot like I'm sure that happened. But I do not think that's the reason he killed anybody. Right. I think he's like, it made me mad. Okay. Plenty so people get fucking mad. So people get mad. Your anger is the problem. Yeah. You didn't know how to handle it. And that is like, again, a male issue. Right. So he goes back to Becky's house without the bat. Okay. And he hops the fence. And he's like, I wonder if the house is at like I wonder if no one's home. Okay. So he sees he's like, maybe I should vandalize it or whatever. So he sees like moving boxes through the windows. He sees um like the furniture's all gone. But then he sees the television illuminating someone sleeping on the floor. Mm. And he's standing outside, creeping around, and her cat like runs over his feet and like slides through the back door. And he was like, Oh, the back door's open. Oh no. And he follows the cat. Uh, the back door was like literally open. I don't know if it was like the cat could push it open. I don't know. Maybe. But I don't even know if this happened. He said no, this. But that, that is what I'm questioning. I'm questioning yeah. him, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, like, you're telling me that a companion creature came up to you and showed you the way into the home. He says, like, he, like, giggled because he's like, oh, a cat showed me that I could get in. Yeah, I think he made that up. I think he's made up a lot of this, like, frankly. We get into another thing that I'm like, this is fantasy land. Right, okay. Yeah, I think that he broke in through the back door. Yeah. So he goes in. He sits in the recliner in, like, the room over, and she's asleep. I hate it. Yeah, she's asleep. Oh, man. Imagine, Kendall. No. 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 (laughs) I won't. (laughs) So he steps into the kitchen and he picks up a frying pan. Oh, are we bludgeoning her? No. Oh. He notices a 10-inch knife and goes, this is better. So he grabs Mm. it. He walks Mm. over to sleeping Becky and just starts stabbing her. Oh, wow. She puts her arms up in defense. um, But he stabs her 58 times. Yeah, okay. Nothing made you do that. You no, did that. You, you wanted, wanted to, to do, do that. that. <laughs> um, and like, you've been peeping in windows. You've been fantasizing about doing this mm-hmm. for a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he runs out the back door again. He throws the knife on the ground and runs home. He's scared that he left a fingerprint on the frying pan when he picked it up. So he goes back to the house. You're diabolical. You love this. He grabs the pan and runs home and tosses it in the grass. You brought her frying pan back to your home. Mm-hmm. You're a big idiot. Wild to be 13 and be like my DNA. Yeah. Like, oh, He's man. thinking this through. I think you've been thinking about murder for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He takes off all his bloody clothes and hides it in the, the attic of his, like, family home. He lives with his parents. His and his poor brother mom. and sister. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the next morning, Becky's brother comes home from his overnight and finds her body. Oh, my fucking God. Her purse is untouched. Not a robbery, no sexual assault. And they're like, what in the fuck was this? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a trail of blood to the backyard, and then they find the 10 inch knife back there. Mm-hmm. They're like, this probably is the murder weapon. Well, you didn't touch the knife. Why didn't you take that with you? Yeah, I don't understand. Okay. So he wakes up the next morning and he's like, oh my God. And that like um, realization, action hangover of like the things like, I did the oh, other day. Oh, <laughs> man. So he wakes up the next morning and there's like media and press, like police outside. His friends stop by and they're like, dude, you got to see this. Like, Becky was murdered last night. And he's like, really? Oh, no. So they walk over to, like, Beep Peeper Tommen. Like, everyone's looking. Everyone in the neighborhood. Like, gawking. what happened? Yeah. yeah. So they walk over and the police are like, did you guys see anything strange last night? Oh, man, I went to Betty by. Yeah, he's like, no. So they get a statement from him and then they never reach out to him again because he's 13 years old. Yeah, I would never fucking think that the children did it. No! absolutely not so he says quote i truly felt like getting away with it was my fate and destiny i really felt supreme oh ew ew yeah he starts having or he says he starts having like nightmares about becky of like her coming back to him or like i hope he did but i don't think him this is what this fucker says quote getting away with murder can be more than stressful for a 13 year old Yeah. No, hell yeah. I was very worried about like what I was going to wear to homecoming. Yeah. But I can imagine having been 13 at one point that if I had murdered a man, I would be very worried about that too. It'd be stressful. More (laughs) than stressful even. It takes a great deal of mental strength to bury such a secret. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, You love what you did. Fuck yourself, dude. I hate your ass. Yeah. And like um, the contradicting, I had nightmares about it, which is implying like I regretted doing it. Yeah. And it made me feel like God. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's kind of like, isn't that impressive that I was able to like live with that? And like shoulder that burden at fucking 13. Hey, no. <laughs> so a few months later, he starts eighth grade. <laughs> oh 
God. Okay. Kendall, when you were in eighth grade, you had... Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is she about to say? That you would only play Never Shout Never, and you had like that... Yeah, the side bangs. Yeah, you did. What do you mean? I'm, I'm putting it in perspective for myself. Yeah, all right. What were you doing? Same shit. Never Shout Never is actually a horrible abuser now. Okay, anyway. Oh, God. I'm like, thank God like you couldn't get tattoos when you were 14. Okay. So he's pretty popular in school. He's an athlete. Our anonymous source says he was voted class clown and was, quote, funniest and friendliest kid in school. So he starts um, experiencing racism in sports. So he starts to lose interest in that. Mm. He's experimenting with drugs. And he says he's taking LSD every day. You would be clinically crazy. Because I'd argue (laughs) he might be. (laughs) So a year later, when he's 15, he was arrested for breaking into a house. Wait, he got away with a 13-year-old one. Yeah. Becky. Yeah. Damn. Yes. So he felt pretty supreme about that. Uh, He's arrested. Yeah, her murder is just unsolved for for this point. He's arrested for breaking into a house. He gets probation. Um, He's not on the police radar at all for Becky's murder. Which makes me like, did they not take fingerprints when he got arrested for breaking and entering and compare it to anything? I guess not. Maybe not. Or maybe like... Why would they even think about that? Yeah, maybe I'm an idiot, but like, do they keep things separate when when they're juvenile and and they might they might. So July 26, 1989, he gets in a fight with his sister, um, and the police are called, and he like knocks an officer over, so he spends the night in jail. Well, already, like, if you got in a fight that was bad enough that they called the police, yeah, you're a pretty frightening human. Yeah, he has rage issues. Yeah, how do they deal with that? The family, I don't know. It must like, be how terrorizing would the, what would the mother them? do? I don't know. I can't imagine having a brother who was actually being violent with you. Yeah, you but like, he's mean? violent to her then, you know? Like, what is she going to do? Ooh, I don't know. So it's August of the same year, and he asks some of his friends to hang out, and they're like, hey, we can't. We're going lobster diving. Rad. So later that day, he sees them hanging out at a convenience store without him. So he's like, they lied to me. They did not go lobster diving. Um, He becomes filled with rage again. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> We're not allowed to become violent when anyone does anything we don't like right he says quote anger consumed me and i felt its flame lick all over me oh shut up up. on his way home from this horrifying incident traumatizing incident teenage girl you fucking freak give me a fucking break dude okay imagine like if anytime your friend is something kind of fucked up to you you got to go kill a person (laughs) (laughs) i would be the most prolific serial killer <laughs> um on his way home he sees two of his neighbors riding their bikes 10 year old jennifer heaton and eight year old melissa heaton oh no and they live at the street over from him <laughs> so one of the girls falls off the bike and like fucks up her bike chain mm-hmm. and he says he goes over to like help her fix it and catches their mom joan looking racistly out the window at him okay <laughs> <laughs> A few issues. You can't be mad at one person and kill another. Right. He loves doing that. That's all he does. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe the exact moment he was there, she was peering out the window. Like, what kind of movie bullshit is that? What kind of lifetime bullshit? Yeah. And then he says that the little girls just start start saying poop over and over again. And he's like, I think they were referencing me. Not everything's about you. Yeah. It's like they're little girls. They say dumb shit. Yeah. And frankly, even if they happen like being little dickheads you can't kill them (laughs) right 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 um so he goes home and keeps um you know seething and riling himself up that too like you're allowed to be mad sure and feel like wronged by people sure 
You don't get to go home, fuel it, and add to it until you act out in a violent rage. Yeah, like work yourself into a little tizzy. Like you are being a big weirdo. Yeah. September 1st, 1989, he goes to a beach party. He's on, he's taking LSD. He's at the party and he says like, hey, I want some beer. But the guy who brought the beer was known for his racist jokes. Mm. So he goes over and like to the guy and like stands like menacingly over him. And everyone's kind of like, no one knows like what's going to happen. They're like, is he going to beat him? I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, what's up? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want some beer. And he's like, sorry, dude, I only have two left. But if you asked earlier, I would have gotten you some. And I don't owe you any beer. Right. He's like, I would have hooked you up. And he's so embarrassed by this that he leaves and rages out. So he's walking home from this party and he sees Joan Heaton staring at him through her window again. What? Yeah, that's not what happened. That's ridiculous. Why is she just staring out the window all the time? Maybe. Have you ever thought, is she okay? (laughs) Like She's not doing that. I'm assuming it's late at night. Why would she be staring out into the dark street? I don't like you're making shit up. She has two kids. Why the fuck would she be doing that? And like. You're a dick for for being like, uh, I killed a woman, but she totally fucking deserved it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like making shit up to be like, here's why I had to kill her. Yeah. I mean, he's just excusing himself all day. Like I was my friends didn't hang out with me one day. What? Come on. Okay. So he said he goes home. Rage claims that he's overtaken by rage yet again. And here's kill her in his brain. No, he didn't. And he puts on all black again. He grabs a steak knife from his house. Walks over to the Heaton house. Quote, just the thought of this solution began to ease my twisted and torn mind. The solution? Yeah. So on his walk over to their house, he's still, he's like, hi, he smoked weed and he's still on LSD. Mm-hmm. And he's, has said, he's saying his plan is to kill Mr. Heaton first, then Joan, but let the little girls live. You did not think that, you fucking piece of shit. You're full of it wild that i'm hearing over and over i intended to kill a guy that night but i ended up killing an innocent woman well here's the thing mr heaton died by suicide years ago there is no like mr heaton i don't know if he knew that or not but there is just the three girls in the house i think that he feels better about uh i intended to kill a guy yeah i think that he maybe even with jeff and becky and he wanted to kill fucking becky Becky, man yes and he's like well i can use that excuse that jeff's kind of a dick yeah jeff was rude to me and i thought he might be there too like no no, you didn't didn't. so he tries all the doors but they're all locked he peers into the kitchen window that is open with a screen so he Mm. pulls his knife and he cuts open a square and opens the window he leaves his shoes outside and climbs through the window and onto the kitchen table that's like pressed up against the window. Now, I've read about this in a couple places and they like got some details differently. So I'm just going to go with one way. Okay. So he goes to Joan's door. He's like about to open it. Also, this is what he says. So grain mm-hmm. of salt. And he hears a noise from behind him and it's like footsteps. And it's eight-year-old Melissa. And she was like reaching her arms out to him, like either in like a dream, like she doesn't really know who he is or like, is it her mom? Whatever. And then she notices, like, this is not someone I know. And, uh, and like, starts running away. Even that, I'm not sure of. Like, she reached out to me. You're a, a random black guy in her home. Like, right. I don't think she thought you were her white mom. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? Right. So she turn, takes off running, like, back to her room. And she, like, turns the hallway light on. Okay. And he grabs her. And she starts to scream. <sighs> this is when Joan comes running out of her bedroom and he tackles her to the ground. Joan is now yelling at Melissa to call 911, and just before Melissa goes to the kitchen to grab the phone, he stabs her seven times in the neck, chest, and shoulder, and crushes her skull with the kitchen chair. Oh my god, Kendall. 
Yeah. The mother had to watch that happen. I don't know. I've read that that happened after. I read that, like, Joan died first, but Oh, my I don't fucking know. God. Either way, that happened to her, that little girl. Yeah. Yeah. So he turns to Joan and he tackles her down again. They, like, had lost the knife. He's looking around for the knife when he sees 10-year-old Jennifer by her mother. He stabs Joan 11 times. The mom. Okay. She bites him during the struggle and, and he bites her face. He turns to Jennifer the 10 year old. Mm -hmm. And he says that he's like, I wanted to let her live, but she saw too much. Like, that's not true. No. (laughs) So he stabs Jennifer 62 times. Oh my fucking God. Wild that he waited till the end to like overkill. That's why it's like, you didn't do this because she saw too much. Like you wanted, like, I love it. I want to make it last. Yeah. Yeah. All of his shit, his reasoning is bullshit. I'm not even sure I believe that the order he did it all in. I'm I believe not. that she was the final one. Yeah. But like, I, I bet the mom was first. I don't believe, yeah, to get her out of the way yeah. to then go kill the children. Yeah. Like, he played it out like he kind of had to kill the Melissa. one little girl yeah. go- going towards the kitchen. Yeah. He made it feel like, well, it was like in the heat of it all. I, before I knew it, I had killed her and now I have to kill the mom. And right. you know what I mean? And one of his interviews, he's like, I was mad at Joan for like ruining my plan. Like, I was mad at like her for making it go kind of chaotic, which is like, I don't even know. You said your plan was to not hurt the girls at all. Like, what are you talking about? Maybe he meant like he wanted to only kill Joan, the mother, but yeah. when she made, like she fought back like a human being and like made the girls wake Here's up. The thing too is like, w- would you lay down and let a person just like fucking kill you and not do anything about it? Why yeah, would your she? children, you fucking yeah. lunatic. There's a connection here of like, you're only raging out and going over to places, you know, there are, are no men. Right. Right. So he finds a plastic bag and puts the knives inside of them and sneaks out through the kitchen window again. He has to get on top of the table to do that. And one of the legs snaps when he leaves. Um, When he gets home, he throws the bag full of knives in his dad's shed and like lays in bed for a few hours and is like, well, he says he's kind of nervous that he left evidence back, uh, evidence there. So he goes back to the house. Uh Uh-huh. Again? Again. You love returning. This is kind of your thing, isn't it? You want to return and feel it all over again. Yeah. Before they get discovered and yeah. taken out you want to see it again so he goes there and he he's noticed that he's like pretty like badly hurt on his like finger or something mm-hmm. so he finds some of their band-aids and puts them on and covers up their bodies in rugs and blankets and then our anonymous source says that he also made food and drank their orange juice yeah and you went yeah. over you went over to enjoy it yeah like stop lying to me i think that he knows like there's a finite window before they're found and they don't belong to me anymore right uh so he wakes up the next morning and the police had not discovered them yet he was like expecting another like barrage well of, you like, killed press. an entire family like right. who would find them exactly so another day passes and then another day and joan's mom decides to drive over oh my god no one is answering the door so she's peeking through the windows um she sees that the house is like in disarray and she's like that's weird she sees the broken table and is like, that's super weird. And then a rug rolled up and covered in blankets with an arm and leg sticking out. Oh, my God. When the police get there, they find the bodies and um, a four inch long blade that was had broken off in 10 year old Jennifer's neck. Oh my God. And they see this crime and they're like, we're pretty sure this is connected to Becky Spencer's murder two years earlier because this is like literally down the street. Like this is not right yeah and there was no robbery or sexual assault again but this time he had left clues 
There were large footprints in blood around the house. There was a palm print on the table and there was drops of blood that were like far away from the bodies. And they were like, it's the perpetrator's blood probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then band-aid wrappers that he had left. One more thing, the knife breaking off in the, in Jennifer. Yeah. You only, um, ended it because you, your knife broke. Yeah. Maybe. Right. She was the final one he killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So the police alert hospitals to look out for men with hand injuries. Mm. And they set up road roadblocks in the neighborhood looking for men with hand injuries. But he's not a man. <laughs> he is 15. Yeah. So September 5th, um, just a few days later, the police run into a group of boys, um, one of whom was Craig. The officer walks up to him and he's like, what happened to your finger? Because it's like wrapped in gauze. And he's like, I fell on a glass bottle. Mm. And the officer's like, oh, Okay. And he's like pressing him more about this. And he's like, well, I didn't tell my parents because I didn't, I knew they'd make me go to the hospital and I don't want to go to the hospital. And the officer's like, okay, I don't fully buy this, but mm. noted. So later that night, he goes back to the house after the bodies had been removed and the police had already been there. And he um, sneaks to the kitchen window again and wipes down all the surfaces. You're an idiot. You they got love, it all already. You love being there. Like, you yeah. love being there. You love being there. So, September 9th, investigators ask Craig's parents if they can bring him in for questioning because he's a minor. And they have to ask permission. Wow. H- how did they... The finger? The finger, and he's in the neighborhood. It's just suspicious. Yeah, and like, I mean, there's a bigger conversation about how police treat... Black, black men. Black children like they're grown men. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas white boys get to be like boys till they're like 38. Yeah. Or like you know what 60. I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's also like boys when they're like 15 are pretty like, he was big and strong he was like 5'10 like 200 something pounds yeah I mean like boys are strong I don't know what to tell you like if we're talking about who could kill a woman or kill like, little girls little girls like a 15 year old boy is not like no he could never do that right you know what I mean right he like could do that he could do that and he did, he did. so they ask him again about this falling on a glass bottle thing they ask him to like demonstrate it and so he does. And an expert says, like, if he got it from falling on that bottle, it would have been on the other side of his finger. So, like, it's not possible. That's how you got it. Mm. And he's like, okay, so I actually got it when I was breaking into a car last week, which he had actually done. Mm. Um, and was able to give them re- de- real details about a car that had actually been broken into. Okay. So they let him go, but they're still suspicious because there was no, like, broken glass at the scene of the car. Of the thing. car. Yeah. Right. Like, well... Did it happen at the car too or no? Right. They're like, I don't like, we can't keep you, but like that makes more sense than what you said at first. Yeah. So they bring him in again. If I were them, I would get him not wanting to admit Admit to to breaking into a top. Yeah. Right. 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 So they take his fingerprints and footprints. Um, He signs a statement that he has never been in the Heaton house and also takes a lie detector test. He had his shoes off when he went in that home, right? Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. Dumb. It's like walking with hands. <laughs> They're the signature too, dude. Um, and there was some deception in the lie detector. Yeah. Okay. They tell him that they had talked to the Ford dealership about the car, and they said that the the window on their cars do not shatter in the way he said it did, and they they go into like little pebbles mm-hmm. and like would not make the cut that he had. A shard to cut you, you. right? Yeah. Um. So he's like, I gotta go home, and they're like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm going home. <laughs> 7.30 a.m. the next day, the police show up to his house with a search warrant. Mm. Uh, Check the shed? 
Well, he hears an officer say, it's time to look in the shed. And he's like, oh, no. So he's like, can I go to the bathroom? And they're like, yeah. So he goes into the bathroom and looks out the window to like the shed and sees the police officer holding up the bag of knives. <laughs> of bloody knives. A bag And he's of like, bloody. oh, man, I've been had. So they come in and arrest him. Yeah, gotta. Wild that they knew they didn't think it might be the father or another right. man in the home. They were like, for sure you, Craig. It's the hand injury. Yeah. September 17th, he confesses to killing Joan and her daughters, as well as Becky Spencer. Um, he says that he never intended to kill them. They were robberies gone wrong. And they were like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. You didn't take anything. Twice? You have to kill kids? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, during the interview, he immediately confessed to the murders. He described in detail the events of the night, although his story kind of changed. According to one of the officers, quote, what came out of his mouth next stunned even the most experienced and jaded listeners and sent his father, John Price, to the men's room to vomit, rendering him unable to return. How would you even... How could you ever handle that your kid Ugh, turned out like that? You know I what I mean? Know. I don't And know. that he had done the, the Becky murder at 13. And was just living with you? To me, that is wilder than like, they t- when they grew up, they became a bad right, guy. Right. He's in your home being raised by you. And Ugh. he's rotten to the core. And he's rotten. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like, I don't think I had anything to do with them. Like, no, this is like you got a bad one. This you is, got a bad one. I guess so. Um, so back then, Rhode Island law did not allow minor offenders to be held in prison past the age of 21. So he was 15 when he confessed and was sent to like a rehabilitation school, state school thing. Do we know what made the dad barf? This is not gory enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, just like the details, I guess. Because in the beginning, he was lying about what... And then he told the truth. Um, and uh, he barfed. I don't know. All right. So he was intended to be released when he turned 21 in 1994. Oh, so... That's th- a good idea. Ah! <laughs> so this case led to changes in state law that would allow juveniles to be tried as adults for serious crimes. But this could not be applied retroactively to him. You can't oh. make a law for somebody. <laughs> I feel like we should. <laughs> um, um, so a year oh, yeah. before he's set to be released in 1993, he starts refusing court orders to undergo psychological testing um, because his lawyer is like, you might, these results might make you look really bad <laughs> and like you'll be committed for life. So like, it's probably in your best interest to not do them. I don't know if you're aware, but you're, you're really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> His refusals allowed the prosecutor's office to file contempt of court charges in 1994. Like, I mean, this is rare. They're like charging him with anything to keep him in prison. Keep him in pr- He'll kill people, man. Exactly. Another time he flew into a rage at a CO and like threatened to snuff him out. So they filed extortion charges. Okay. We're reaching, but we have to. Right. No one could remember an inmate being charged for like routine language in a prison. Like they're like, this is interesting. Uh, The prosecutor said, we were dealing with a quadruple murderer who had threatened to kill again, and we were going to prosecute him to the full extent of the law. Mm. So also the community is freaking out because his 21st birthday is approaching October 11th, 94. People are getting like more scared. They're like, he's beefed up to 300 pounds. He's lifting <laughs> weights. He, he has boasted freely about making history when he's released. He's like um, the dog in the sandlot. <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay. So in May, 1994, president. He's beefed up. He's beefed up. <laughs> it's even worse than you can imagine. <laughs> 
you thought 15-year-old was bad. Okay, so in May 1994, when President Clinton flew to Providence, he was greeted by demonstrators holding banners demanding that the Warwick slasher remain locked up. When asked in a television interview, Clinton said that he thought it was, quote, outrageous that this kid could get out. The governor said the same thing. Me too, Bill. So this extortion trial is going to be like their best bet to keep him in jail. Mm Mm-hmm. Just a few days before his 21st birthday. So his attorney accused the attorney general of twisting laws to prosecute him, like, personally. Yeah, but I gotta. Right. He's like, the state was using two sets of laws, one for everyone else and one for Price. I'm like, sorry, um, this is extraordinary. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what like to tell you. He's like fully Michael Myers. Like, I don't know what to tell <laughs> Did you. Did you like, not hear what I said? Yeah, yeah. So he is found guilty by a jury and he delivered, like, a diatribe about how he had paid his dues no you literally did not you not even close dude four people and you were in jail for five Six, five years right he said he was being persecuted because of his race okay i hear you in the beginning when you're like right, i absolutely. got mad when people yelled mean things at me yeah dude for sure yeah but come on <laughs> come on you killed four women yeah two children and two adult women yeah quote the media has once again done a good job of creating a monster nobody created anything you smashed a, a seven-year-old's skull in dude you broke your knife off and in a 10-year-old okay not just a boogeyman but a black boogeyman so he was sentenced to 15 years um, and is sent to the adult correctional institution. In 96, he gets in a fight with the CO, bites his finger. He's given more time. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Who is the guy who, um, I think he cut off that girl girl's arm. Oh, yeah. The, the hitchhiking girl. Yeah. And then, Harry um, Vincent. I don't know yeah, his name, though. They did like a thing to him where he got out. And then they try. They like would call him on anything to get yes, him back in jail because exactly, they were yeah. like, you, "You're actually a harm, like a risk to society. You're a homicidal maniac. Yeah, you're <laughs> scaring me. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. because you're actually a danger to everyone you come in contact with. You're gonna kill your whole f- neighborhood. Yeah. Like what? By the way, you're going. Yeah. So he's being um, prosecuted for the contempt thing again, and the judge is like, "I'm feeling conflicted about this mm. because." Con- Contempt charges usually are just a fine, not literal jail time. Yeah. Um, But the state is like begging this judge to put him away. So I do get a judge being like, I need to um, be a judge, be a judge. And like they could do this to any black guy. You yeah, know what I mean, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, very much that. Like, I'm worried that if I t- if I let that happen one time yeah. where we like loophole these black people mm-hmm. into going to jail for longer, we could do it to uh, any black guy. There's a history of that happening. Exactly. Yeah. So blah, blah. he said he could take into account the murders, but he couldn't sentence him for the murders. Yeah. Quote, I did not feel that I could in conscience sentence him to life for a contempt charge. So he gave him 25 years, which is significant. Okay, yeah. 10 to serve and the remaining 15 if he got into any more trouble or refused treatment, which he would absolutely do. He said, okay. quote, I felt that to put him on hold for 25 years would be to put on a hold on many, many things. And maybe in that time, some form of treatment could be found. I uh, mean, a fairly reasonable judge. Yeah, he's like, I did what I could, but like, I'm not going to be crazy here. Um, so in 1998, he like stomps on a CEO's hand. Uh, not CEO. Oh, my God. A CEO's <laughs> hand. He assaults another one in 2001. Cool. 2009, he assaults another, another one. He's given more time. And he's like up for parole every once in a while. And before it, one of his parole hearings, he was talking about how he's like, how am I supposed to get out of jail when I've been in here since 15? Like, I don't know how I would manage it. So yeah. it seems like he might be like throwing it himself okay which is fine 
Um, April 4th, 2017, he enters the cell of a fellow inmate, Joshua Davis, holding a knife and stabs him multiple times. He tackles him and keeps stabbing. He does not die, but he does plead guilty and is sentenced to another 25 years. So I don't think he's going fucking anywhere. Absolute nightmare. That's all. Um, that made me feel like being a parent is too big of a risk, frankly. That could happen. You roll the dice big time. And like, if you have a boy, yeah, he could be the worst guy in America. He could be. <laughs> Who's saying? <laughs> Who knows, man? Feel free to absorb that information. Um, feel free to tell your friends. But as for where you heard it, tell no one. Bye. Bye.